Hey everyone. As you know, I'm a huge fan of living a healthy lifestyle, including taking the right supplements. Collagen is one of my favorite supplements. It is the most abundant protein in the human body. As we grow older, we break it down faster than we can replace it. This loss affects our skin, nails, hair, muscles, joints, and tendons, bones, and gut, making us look and feel old. Totem Voss is a wellness company that created a collagen chew for a real-life person, the 78-year-old mother of the founder. As a result, the quality is unrivaled. Totem Voss chews contain equal part deep-sea Icelandic cod, domestic grass-fed beef, and organic chicken bone broth, along with companion ingredients such as vitamin C for a full collagen synthesis. These varied sources address a greater range of collagen needs within the body. Their customers are reporting results with such problems as rosacea, osteoarthritis, osteoporosis, degenerative disc disease, as well as improved hair, skin, and nails. Practitioners are finding the juice to be an effective tool in restoring gut health. You can find Totem Voss, that's T-O-T-U-M-V-O-S, at getchews.com. That's getchews.com. Use code DRDIVA, that's D-R-D-I-V-A, for an additional 10% off your first order. So out of my own experience, like I said, I was a mess uh, in many ways and had to figure it out. And I thought, oh my gosh, if I'm a physician and I was really struggling, how in the world is the average woman supposed to figure this out and connect the dots? Like I have to be part of the solution. And so that really is how it's shaped my practice just because I needed it for myself and I figured other women needed it as well. Hello, this is Dr. Diva Nagula. Welcome to From Doctor to Patient, where our goal is to bring you topics of discussion that will educate you on the various healing modalities to help balance the mind, body, and spirit. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From Doctor to Patient. Today, I'm pleased to have Kira Barr with us. As a global speaker, internationally best-selling author and wellness expert, Dr. Barr is a dual board-certified dermatologist. With all the discoveries she's made and her own experience with skin cancer, Dr. Barr has developed a process and path that fortifies your body, your life, and your skin. By working with other professional and entrepreneurial women, revitalize their lives, and re-energize their bodies, she's helped them achieve and exceed their physical and personal goals of happiness, confidence, and success, and has redefined the delivery of skin care. Dr. Barr, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? I am doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. You know, it's interesting. Everyone that comes out to join me on this show has a really interesting story of how they got to where they are today. And I'd love to hear your story on how you wound up doing what you're doing now. Yeah. Um... We always like to say like our mess becomes our message, right? And um, for me, it was about eight years ago and I thought I was killing it in my career. I was in academics. I was running ultra marathons, you know, had the kids, the husband, all the things. And um, it was just 
the beginning of a downward spiral <laughs> because I started to experience a lot of trouble sleeping, um, was feeling more anxious. Uh, as a dermatologist, I had a lot of uh, pigmented lesions that were growing and changing over the course of a decade, having them biopsied every couple of months. But back then I thought that was just normal. Um, just a lot of gut issues. I mean, they, you, you name it, I had it. And um, ultimately, what the wake up call for me was, is that as a dermatologist, I had to diagnose myself with melanoma. And wow. it really was one of those, um, it's your worst nightmare <laughs> because, you know, thankfully I knew what to look for. I caught it early, but my skin, it was my understanding. It was my first um, indoctrination into what mindfulness in medicine really is because my skin had been sending me clues and messages. My body had been shouting at me with all the pain and all the hormone shifts and, um, and I was deaf to it. And it really wasn't until that diagnosis that I realized that everything I thought I was doing right was not so right. Yeah. That's fascinating. You know, and it's, it's, it, I guess we all think about issues with our system and how it relates to improper lifestyles, such as poor food practices, poor stress management, poor sleep. But no one ever ties this to skincare and skin regimen. It's interesting. And then that's where you come along and have this unique niche. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, never would have connected the dots going you know, forward. It's only going backward. Can we do that? Right. Thanks to Steve Jobs and that famous quote. But for me, that's so true that it wasn't so, it wasn't just about what was showing up on the skin. I realized it had so much to do with how I was showing up in it. You know, how did I wind up with this skin cancers? Because as a kid, I was made fun of for what was on my skin and all the shame and humiliation, and embarrassment that I felt trying to mask that with a suntan, um, you know, that low self-esteem and low, low self-confidence that I had for a lot of my life, you know, going into medicine, being the pleaser, the perfectionist, it really, it just one thing layers on the other. And then it also determines other choices that we make. You mentioned food choices, how to nourish ourselves. And, you know, and it's not just about the food, it's mm -hmm. who we spend our time with and, and how we manage our stress. And I learned quickly that, you know, what shows up on the skin is a reflection of how the body is functioning, both physically, mentally, and emotionally. And um, yeah, that's that's exactly what I wanted to chat more specifically with you. I mean, you, we all know about this gut brain connection and how they are influential with one another and on our overall well being. But you say that there's this brain skin connection and uh, there's a fully functional HP axis system within the skin. I'd love to hear more about this. This is really exciting because this is something that's not taught to us in medical school. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, I didn't learn it in residency either. And yet the brain and the skin are derived from the same embryologic tissue. So from that perspective, they're absolutely connected. But when we think about stress in particular, we always think about it you know, our brain sends signals to the hypothalamus, the pituitary, releases a whole bunch of stress hormones and, and, and other chemicals that circulate throughout the body, the skin can receive all those signals. But what they've discovered in the recent past is that 
the skin itself has the same machinery that it can not only be a receiver of stress signals, but it can create the same hormones, um, the cortisol, the adrenaline, as well as our sex hormones. So the skin, I mean, I'm a little biased. I think it's an amazing organ, <laughs> but as your largest organ, um, it is incredibly complex and is it's the reason why, um, you know, when someone said, tells you your zipper's down or what have you, you know, you might blush um, or when you're stressed out that your acne gets worse or your eczema gets worse. It's a two-way street, both the signals from the brain to the skin and from the skin to the brain. So how do we improve this, like this mind-skin connection, the skin-mind connection? I mean, if this is something that we can modulate, like if we can modulate our skin using specific tips that you might have, we could actually kind of calm our, our brain down and, and how can we utilize this connection for our advantage? I think, um, I think there's absolutely a way to leverage it. And really it just begins with breathing. And I know that sounds really simplistic, but most of us, myself included, when I'm stressed out or agitated, I'm breathing because it's a natural life you know, you know, I, I have to breathe to live, but most of us aren't paying attention to how we're breathing, you know, whether we're breathing um, more rapid, more shallow in our chest. And so even just beginning with taking notice of how you're breathing and allowing yourself to take some nice deep breaths, um, because that's an instant reset. It, you know, activates the vagus nerve, which activates that rest and relaxation response. And I think many people think that meditation or mindfulness has to be, you know, this overwhelming thing that they have to add to their to-do list, but it really can begin just with, with breathing. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that's, I talk about this a lot in my podcast and in my book. It's, it's, you really, you know, meditation can be daunting for people who've never really explored the mindfulness field. And the thought of actually spending an additional 15 minutes to a busy day, you know, trying to be quiet and then also stressing about whether you're doing it correctly or not is, is in of itself a hindrance to the, to the whole purpose of meditating. So I always advocate, you know, breathing because we do this on a regular basis and we don't have to do this in a sequential order of 15 to 20 minutes, it can be done, you know, two to three minutes, five, six times a day. And in fact, I like to tell people like if you're going to work or, you know, we're going to work, you know, you would often get in an elevator or you would you know, get in on an, on an escalator or something where, you know, it's repeated where you're doing this several times a day. And if it's a one to two minutes where you can just sit there and just focus on your breathing and just kind of like, you know, zen out for a minute or two and really focus on on how you are taking in the air and following the air down into your body and make sure that you're doing diaphragmatic breathing instead of doing your shallow chest breathing. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that can make a tremendous difference in your overall well-being just by doing a two-minute breath three, four times a day. And it's it's amazing. You know, most people are very much, I've got to meditate, I've got to meditate. And fine, that's great. And I think you can always work your way up there, you know, but I think the first thing is for people who are quite often in the fight or flight stress response, response, the first thing that you need to do is try to counteract that and kind of get into a state of parasympathetic or rest or digest before going into um, a true meditation practice. I couldn't agree more. And I think those of us that are, you know, the perfectionists that, <laughs> that am I doing it wrong? You know, my mind is wandering and all these things. And, um, 
I so agree. It's start where you are and breathing is the simplest thing that you can do in multiple times throughout the day. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing too, with the work that I do now, yes, my background is in dermatology, but as a woman in midlife, I realized that so many of the changes that I was seeing on my skin, the dryness, the wrinkles, the, you know, thankfully I, I didn't struggle with acne, but I have a lot of women who do, um, and stress totally shifts your hormones and, you know, your body's going to prioritize that fight, flight, or freeze response and elevating that cortisol while everything else takes a back seat, including production of your stress hormone, your sex mm-hmm. hormone. Mm-hmm. Um, and those of us in midlife, that's a dumb whammy because the hormones are already um, cascading downwards as we transition to menopause. So yes, hormone replenishment has a role, but stress management plays such a much bigger role in our overall um, health and well-being. So I, that's where I, I agree. I think you know you start where you are and you do what you can multiple times throughout the day, ideally. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, you know, when we're in our teens and approaching the adolescence, you know, there are a huge amount of hormonal skin changes, and that's a lot of things that people are focused in on and relate to when we talk about skincare and acne uh, during this time period. But again, you were just referencing how some of this, these changes can also appear for females when they go through menopause. And so what can they do to prep themselves for these hormonal changes in relation to uh, their skin? Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I always joke like what you didn't expect when you were expecting menopause, right? <laughs> like exactly. all these skin changes happen. You're like, I'm breaking up, but getting none of the youthful benefits. Um, I hear you. And you know, that's where, again, we just talked about mindfulness um, and mindfulness plays such a role in how we can prepare because being mindful of what we're eating, how we're nourishing ourselves, the food on our plate, we know for acne in particular, there are many people who are very um, sensitive to uh, the effects of dairy because dairy can increase the insulin growth factor one receptor, which um, stimulates those oil glands to produce more oil. And oil production, sebum production is one of the major contributing factors to acne. It also, by stimulating the IGF-1, it increases the amount of cells that are sticky in that hair follicle. So those are two of the biggest components of acne. Acne is bacteria, uh, inflammation, those sticky skin cells and the oil production and dairy is contributing to two of those. So being mindful of, you know, when you eat dairy, is it a correlation? Are you noticing that your skin is getting more irritated, more inflamed? you know, and, and, and just practicing mindfulness there. Same thing with sugar. Um, and I know sugar gets a bad rap. I've got a sweet tooth. We just had Halloween. <laughs> like it, I, I, you know, I'm, it's not all or nothing, but we know that sugar plays a huge role in skin health because it contributes to formation of these glycation, advanced glycation end products. And those advanced glycation end products bind to the collagen and the elastin, which gives your skin that youthful, you know, the the structure, the integrity. Um, And when these products bind to the collagen and elastin, making them stiff um, and more friable, it leads to those wrinkles and those fine lines that you're noticing. Mm -hmm. Again, it's just, again, bringing mindfulness into our approach to our stress management, but also into 
how we are nourishing ourselves with dairy and sugar contributing to what is showing up on your skin. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing and empowering that anyone, you know, they don't need to go to the doctor. They don't need any special thing. They just look in the mirror and be like, okay, this is what I'm seeing. How do I correlate that to what may be in my grocery cart? Exactly. And it's so funny because I talk about how we should pay attention to specific foods that could be allergens. And as you mentioned, dairy and, and processed foods and sugar. But what about gluten? Does that have an impact on our, our skin health as well? You know, it's really interesting. I think um, more research is, is coming up, but one in particular um, subset is psoriasis. And there's more and more studies coming out with psoriasis and, and um, going on gluten-free diet um, and showing significant improvement. Granted, it's not across the, the board. Uh, for me, I've been gluten and dairy free for many years now. So I'm always of like, of course you should be gluten free. You should, you should try it. Um, but I think there's value in um, doing an experimentation, especially if you're dealing with an inflammatory skin condition, eczema, psoriasis. Um, it may or may not make a difference, but there've been enough cases where it's shown um, to improve skin mm -hmm. health. It, it's interesting. It's everyone, I always talk about, and I, and I don't put a lot of emphasis on, on skin, but I would imagine that skin manifestations in regards to acute inflammation is probably one of the very first signs, right? So if your body's under a lot of inflammation, you know, whether it's caused by stressors, uh, it's either mental or physiological or whatever it may be, I would imagine that probably one of the first signs of this inflammation is going to manifest through uh, skin issues. Yeah, the skin is, you know, it's is a reflection of the wind to uh, your overall health and well-being. And I think there are many things that uh, may show up on the skin first that create opportunities to dive deeper. I remember during residency, um, you know, there was a patient he came in with a large uh, lesion on his forehead and we biopsied it. And it was, unfortunately it was metastatic cancer. He didn't know he had cancer. So it was, you know, the skin um, was the first outward manifestation because he had otherwise been feeling well. It's the same thing, you know, when we're dealing in midlife with some of these hormonal changes, especially for women, um, you know, they're noticing the dryness and it's not just on their skin, but it's in their, you know, their genitalia as well. And there's some atrophy in the vaginal area, um, but they're still having their cycle. So they're not equating that things are starting to shift, but your mm -hmm. skin is giving you those clues. And so I think that's really um, fabulous that you have this very visible ally that can help inform you of things that may be going on. Mm -hmm. Same thing with metabolic issues. You know, when we think about blood sugar dysregulation and that plays a big role in menopause, contributing to worsening of hot flashes and such. Um, some people may notice that they have darkening or thickening um, on their skin, especially in the skin folds. I'm looking at my neck because I think about the back of the neck and a condition called acanthosis nigricans. And that's a sure clue that there's metabolic dysfunction, how that individual is handling um, certain processes in their body. So the skin can be a, a huge asset. And those, those are, if I'm not mistaken, from my dermatology course in med school, those are skin tags. 
So skin tags are um, a little bit different. So acanthosis nigricans is a, a thickening. Um, it's it's like a darkening and a thickening. The skin is almost velvety oh, in the area. Right. Yes. Oftentimes accompanied, but you're absolutely right, because it's oftentimes accompanied by skin tags and skin tags love the same areas, those skin folds. And so there has been some thought, especially if there's an abrupt onset of skin tags, that that is a clue to... Um, underlying medical mm-hmm. issues as well. The random skin tag, especially around the eye, or many of us get those and, and they have no um, other affiliation, but sometimes when they're in abundance and a kind of acute onset, mm-hmm. those are good clues. And what are your thoughts about movement and exercise when it relates to skincare? Is there any specific movement patterns that correlate with a healthier skin? Yeah, I love this question. Um, and first of all, uh, as someone who, uh, definitely over-exercised, I think being mindful of how you're moving your body is really important. I thought, you know, no pain, no gain. And I was in pain all the time and I was gaining nothing. So I think, um, don't believe the hype, you know, and, and, and really tune into your body and, and listen to what works. That being said, there is some really good research out there regarding skin health. They were looking at um, older individuals and they had put them on, um, uh, they were biking and it was a course of 12 weeks, individuals who are exercising versus not exercising. And they looked at um, certain markers and this interleukin 15, and they found that those markers went down and the appearance of the skin improved. In fact, there was a, almost a, a, a decrease in wrinkling, if you will, for those individuals who were exercising versus those who weren't. And that was even later in life. So it's never too late to start. Um, and then there's another really cool study looking at yoga. So if you're not into the more aerobic and you want more of the gentle um, movements, they were looking at the, when we were talking about breathing, the asanas and the pranayama breathing, um, so the movement with the breath, and that they found that um, yoga had a significant impact on the glycation process that I mentioned earlier with sugar. They found that yoga actually uh, minimized or reduced the amount of glycation end products that were created. So again, um, improving the appearance of skin, decreasing wrinkles. So yay for exercise. <laughs> hey, Dr. Diva here. Thank you to all my listeners who supported my book and helped to make it a huge success. You all have helped us hit number one in Barnes & Noble, number one in oncology, cancer, healing, and medical ebooks, and number 21 in all of the Kindle store. You've also helped us hit number three on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. If you haven't received your copy, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or booksatmillion.com. Visit from doctortopatient.com to become part of our growing community of health and wellness aficionados and to learn more. If you like our book and podcast, please go to amazon.com to write a five-star review and go to Apple Podcasts to also write a five-star review on this podcast or any of our episodes that you've enjoyed. We need reviews to attract and secure top-notch guests for this show. Thank you so much for your support. Yeah. So, I mean, really, I guess the exercise, obviously, if it's balanced, is really more about the reduction of your underlying stress hormones, which is 
really causing an improvement of of the skin issues that may be going on. Yeah, I think you know, I think we underestimate the impact that stress has on our overall well-being, but especially our skin. I mean, high levels of stress, that cortisol, it's going to impair collagen repair, collagen formation, and again, fine lines, wrinkles, poor wound healing. So yeah, your skin will definitely let you know. Mm-hmm. How has your approach changed? I mean, since you you know had your melanoma, I mean, I'm sure that practicing dermatology, they don't teach you the holistic side of dermatology. You know, you either have to you learn it because you're you know you espouse the integrative holistic approach, you know, from before or have a personal experience. But you know, when someone goes to a dermatologist's office now, it's you, the last thing that you expected to talk about is your your stress level, your mindfulness practices. You know, so um, I find it very interesting that that from a dermatologist's perspective, it totally makes sense. But that's not what people expect when they go to a dermatologist's office for the very first time. Yeah. Um, and for the most of the visits, they probably won't be like that. There's a growing group of us who are interested in, in integrative dermatology. And I have to admit, you know, I walked away from traditional practice and the focus of my practice now is really supporting women in menopause with hormone replenishment and focusing on stress management, because those two things go hand in hand for really helping to rebalance hormones. So out of my own experience, like I said, I was a mess uh, in many ways and had to figure it out. And I thought, oh my gosh, if I'm a physician and I was really struggling, how in the world is the average woman supposed to figure this out and connect the dots? Like I have to do something different. I have to be part of the solution. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so that really is how it's shaped my practice just because I needed it for myself and I figured other women needed it as well. So I know um, that your focus is in uh, is with women's health, women's skin health, and specifically those that are, are going through menopause. Do you have like a stack of supplements that you recommend for women? And you know, if I may elaborate a little bit, not only for women but for other people um, that are also having skin issues, or just in, in terms of preventative care, or, or um, something that they should be taking just for, to enhance their skin health. Yeah. So I love this question and. I'm, I have, you should see my pantry. It's an apothecary. I definitely have lots of supplements, but I think food first, right? Is mm-hmm. filling our plates, um, trying to get the nourishment there, sleeping, you know, the, the basics, going back to the fundamentals, because we can't supplement our way out of a bad diet or bad habits um, or our mindset. And so I like to focus there first. But in terms of supplements, you know, especially for skin health, um, and immunity and mood, vitamin D levels are really important. We talked about inflammation. So our omega-3 fatty acids are, are, are important. Um, you know, for acne in particular, there's a few good studies that are looking at pomegranate, um, to be very helpful. Um, some of the B vitamins, but I think the most important thing, you know, when we talk about skin health, what, um, yes, hormone shifting, but some of the most visible signs of aging are from UV exposure. So 
creating greater resilience of the skin from the um, harmful rays of the sun. So antioxidants are really important. And there's a few like polypodium leucotomus is one that we can't get from food. So that is one supplement that I would recommend. Um, it's derived from a South American fern plant. So uh, polypodium leucotomus, uh, nicotinamide or niacinamide, which is an analog of vitamin B3. Um, both of those have been shown to be really quite effective for helping minimize the the effects of the UV rays. What are your thoughts on vitamin C and, and collagen supplements? I and mean, does that have any role on, on overall skin health? Yeah, so vitamin C and vitamin E, they work synergistically. There's a lot of research on that. That's why you'll see a lot of the skincare products have vitamin C and vitamin E. They're really potent antioxidants, um, do a wonderful job in helping to rejuvenate um, and repair uh, the skin. Taking them orally, um, you know, vitamin C has so many benefits, not just for the skin. Um, so yeah, I think I think there's value in taking that. In terms of collagen, um, you know, I think I think my answer is I don't know. I don't know how much it will help an individual because. A lot of it has to do with what is the health of your gut? How much are you actually absorbing? How much is, of that is then going to get to the periphery? There are some studies that have shown an improvement in skin tone texture with collagen. So I think that it can't hurt. Do I know how much it will help and how much of return on your investment you're going to get? I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, a good, that's a good point. And out of curiosity, since you've gone through skin cancer and you're a dermatologist, you know, what is your personal skincare like? Yeah. So very simple. I'm like the least compliant patient. So it has to be really simple. So, you know, a good cleanser in the morning and I do use an antioxidant topical serum that has the vitamin C, vitamin E, um, a few others. I use pomegranate seed oil on the skin because it's high in um, vitamin C as well. And then a moisturizer that has an SPF of 30 or above. So I use zinc-based products um, and to really protect my skin um, from the sun during the day. The evening routine looks similar, washing my face, antioxidant serum. And then because as we mature, our skin cell turnover slows down a little bit, may give your complexion a little bit of more of a dull um, appearance. So using a topical retinoid, uh, at least a few times a week is something I recommend. And for those who can't tolerate the retinoids, because they can create some dryness and irritation for some people, there are now alternatives like Bacuchiol, which um, has proven to have similar benefits without the dryness and irritation. So mm. really simple, three steps in the morning, three steps in the evening. And obviously if there's some specific concerns, you can add a few more products in. But I say the less the better because the fewer the chemicals you're putting on your skin, the fewer you get absorbed. Right. And, you know, let's go back to um, basic skincare with sunscreen. Like what is the optimal SPF and what about the ingredients that are used in, in, for specific brands for sunscreen? You know, we see a bunch of fillers. We see a bunch of stuff that actually that are high in chemicals and could actually damage our, our skin. Can you just give us an idea of what we should be using and what the appropriate SPF is for us? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a loaded question in many ways. At a minimum, SPF 30 or above. The problem is they've done 
studies that show that the vast majority of people only put on 25 to 50% of the recommended amount of sunscreen. So even if you have an SPF 50 or 100 or, or 30, you know, how much of that SPF are you actually getting? Um, we don't really know. So make sure you're putting on, you know, the, the recommended amount. You don't have to um, slather yourself so that you're completely coated, but you need to put on the recommended amount of sunscreen um, to get the benefit. That being said, which sunscreens to use? I've always only recommended the mineral-based sunscreens, particularly zinc oxide. Number one, it, it's uh, an ingredient that can be used from when you're, you've got littles to the elderly. So one bottle, everyone can use it, well-tolerated. Um, it's the chemical sunscreens that have really come under scrutiny. Um, the oxybenzones, the octanoxates, uh, avobenzone is one that is known to cause um, allergic contact dermatitis, irritant contact dermatitis. So I've always steered away from that. And some of the um, fillers or preservatives that you had alluded to, you know, BHT and others, um, you know, they've been linked to potential endocrine disruption. Mm -hmm. And so as someone who's really keen on helping women rebalance their hormones and, and help them feel good as they're um, in midlife and beyond, I don't want anything coming into their body that can potentially mess with that. So SPF 30 and above, and I, and ideally stick to your mineral based sunscreens. Mm -hmm. And I believe um, the environmental working group has a great, classification on really great sunscreens in a ranking order and and um, yeah they, they have great recommendations for manufacturers and brands and I usually uh, go to that list to, to determine yeah. Yeah, which one I want to use I agree it's the environmental working group um, ewg.org backslash skin deep and so not just uh, sunscreens but any um, personal care product is a great resource right and that's another important thing to mention is that we can really damage our skin and our system by these products that we're applying that are you know on a regular basis i mean our personal care products from cosmetics to hair care to soap all these things uh, carry a lot of chemicals in it and you know we don't really think about it but it, you know we can put up to a hundred plus of these chemicals on a day before we leave the door to go to work in the morning and mm -hmm. it's it's after over many many years and and time spent doing the same routine, you know, these chemicals can get built up into our system and cause like an inflammatory response. And people don't think about that. And it's not always about the foods you eat and it's not always about, you know, the, the pesticides and herbicides that we are exposed to, but it's also the, the personal care products that we use on our skin and, and, and hair and scalp and on a daily basis. I couldn't have said it better. I 100% agree. And I think, you know, and good habits start young too, you know, with our, kids, they, they were looking at statistics for teenage girls who are using 12 to 17 products on average, which is more than, you know, the adults. So these young, you know, the younger generation are being exposed to a lot of chemicals too. Um, and so I think it's, again, this is where mindfulness comes into practice. Being mindful of what you put on your body is really important. And that's something that, again, when I was in training, never was told or taught or thought to do on my own is read the labels. It's so simple that we can just read the labels and be empowered to be like, oh, and then you could look it up on, you know, a website like EWG, look up those 
ingredients and to see if mm-hmm. they're okay. Some of them have a lot, very long, complicated scientific names, but in fact, they're perfectly safe and they're perfectly right. fine. Um, so I think just being able to read your food labels, being able to read your personal care labels, your laundry detergent, your soaps, all the things that come in contact with your body, just read those labels. Exactly. Well, thank you, Dr. Barr. I really appreciate the time that you've spent with me today. And for anyone who wants to find more information about you, um, what's the best way they can look you up? Yeah. So my website is a great place, drkirabar.com. And then on Instagram, I'm starting to get a little bit more social. So at drkirabar, they can find me there. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us again and, and hope to meet you in person. Likewise.